we have been camping out in Luke 15 all month because we've been talking about the love of God. So what are the things that we've learned? We had a conversation about a sheep that got led astray. Why did the sheep get led astray? Because the sheep was hungry. It's following its appetites. Did it mean to get led astray? No. Sheep was just ignorant. Have you ever like, been able to relate to an ignorant sheep? How did you get in this messed up state? I don't know. I'm dumb. It's like, well, so are the rest of us. There are times that our own idiot decisions, through no fault of our own, we just idiot ourselves into some pretty messed up situations. The shepherd came and rescued the sheep. Did the sheep do anything to get itself rescued? No. The sheep just got put on somebody's shoulders and brought back to camp. We talked about a lost coin. Did the coin do anything to get lost? No. Was the coin just having a bad day? It was like, that's it. I'm running away. And throw itself, you know, like a Finding Nemo when they get in the, like the little plastic bags and they roll off. The coin doesn't have the ability to roll itself. The one ring of power had the ability to roll off and affect its fate, but this coin did not. That was just for you. Um, did the coin do anything to get found? No. The coin just received the finding. What happened? The mother of the house lit all the lamps, searched the whole home, found the coin. So we have a shepherd that found a sheep. We have a mother that found a coin. And then last week we talked about a pro the prodigal son, the son that ran away. Did the son do anything to get lost? Yes. The son planned his decisions on purpose. He knew exactly what he was going to spend his money on. The word prodigal means wasteful, by the way. We usually use it as somebody that's like coming home, like the prodigal son, somebody that's walked away and has come back. I'm prodigal. I am wasteful in the things that I do. When I put ketchup on french fries, I am prodigal with the ketchup on my french fries. I am extravagant with the amount of ketchup that I put on french fries. Okay? It's not a special word. Well, what did the, the son do to get found? Not a whole lot. The only thing that he did, because he made a choice to leave, there was some part of his free will that was bound up in him getting found. What did the son have to do? He had to remember how good his dad was. And that was it. He planned this big apology to come home, say, Dad, I'm sorry. I sinned against you and I have sinned against... But the father never let him complete his sentence. The father never let him apologize. The father never let him beg for forgiveness. When we come to God in repentance, and we'll get into that here in a second, it is not us apologizing that carries the forgiveness. We do that all the time. We start off our conversations with the Lord of like, well, God, in order for you to hear all the rest of my prayers, I have to apologize. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been six months since my last confession. In the intervening months, I have done X, Y, Z. I have stolen from the bank. I have not put air in my... T you know, we have to list off all of these things. For these sins, I am most grievously sorry. In order to get the forgiveness of the Father, that is not how this thing works. The Son had forgiveness before he ever apologized. The son was restored into the household, not because he came back home. The son was restored to the household because he was a son of the household. It wasn't what he did. It was who he was. Okay? 
what, what, what was the important part about the repentance? Repentance in the New Testament is a Greek word, metanoia. You had your one Hebrew word, your one Greek word, metanoia, the changing of a mind. Anytime the word repentance is used in the New Testament, it is a changing of the mind. Have you ever changed your mind? Have you ever been driving past McDonald's and thought, I'm not getting fast food. Stuff's nasty. And then you pass by Burger King and, ooh, I've changed my mind. Every once in a while, like, I'll meet somebody that I don't like. You know, it's like, I just don't like your face. And then they're kind of funny. Hmm. I've changed my mind. Have you ever met somebody really attractive and you're like, hmm. And then they're a crazy person, and you go, hmm, I've changed my mind. <laughs> Have you ever jumped out of a plane? You're like, well, I don't want to end up like this, so I'm going to pull my parachute cord. I've changed my mind about how fast I want to be hurtling towards the earth. Have you ever taught somebody how to, like, drive a manual transmission and then immediately change your mind? Like, oh, God. You're going to ruin my car. That's all that it is. It's a changing of the mind. It's not you being a drug addict one day and you need to repent and you need to not become a drug addict. No. What are, what are we changing our mind about? If you look at the beginning of your Bible, it will say lost coin, lost sheep, prodigal son. These are not lost things. These are found things. It's not a story about a lost sheep. It's not a story about a lost coin. It's a story about a found coin. Story about a found sheep. Story about two found sons. The repentance is the paradigm shift of, I'm not a sinner. I'm forgiven. I'm not lost. I'm found. I'm not broken. I'm healed. Repentance is you hearing the gospel, the good news, and believing it. And it is sad to say, that we in the Western church, I don't, I've never been in the Eastern church, I, so I can't speak to them, but we in the Western church, we fail at this hardcore. When you ask, and you can do your own research, you can poll your own people. When you ask somebody in this room, outside of this room, at another church down the street, your neighbor, hey, are you going to go to heaven when you die? The number one phrase that you'll get in response is, I hope so. You hope so. That's a lot to wager on, I hope. Well, why do you think you're going to get into heaven? Almost invariably, we hear this response. Try to lead a good life. Okay, well, why would you not go to heaven? I stole, murdered somebody, cheated on my taxes, I cheated on my wife. We think that this whole interchange is about us doing good things versus bad things. That at the end of the, the age, whatever, when we get into our final state, God will take all the bad decisions that we ever made and put them on a scale. And then all the good decisions that we ever made, I took out my landlord's garbage, I helped an old lady across the street, well, he'll take all the good deeds and put them on a scale. And if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, we get into heaven, and if not, we go to hell. That's not Christianity. That's what the Egyptians believed. They worship tree stumps, pagans. Don't worship God, they worship tree stumps. That's what they believed. That's what the Greeks believed. If I do good deeds, I get to spend eternity in the Elysian fields. 
And if I do a whole lot of bad deeds, I get to spend eternity in Tartarus. That's Greek mythology. That's not Christianity. What did the lamb do to get rescued? Nothing. What did the coin do to get rescued? Nothing. Did the sun do anything to get rescued? Nope. Just happened to be near the Father. What do I do to get rescued? Nothing. What do I do to get saved? Nothing. I need to repent. I need to have a mind change. I need to change the way this thing works. He has already forgiven you. There's no need to fast. There's no need to thrash your back with a whip. There's no need to beg for forgiveness. There's no need to walk an aisle. There's no need to say a special prayer. Why? Because the Father has already decided to forgive you. When? Before you ever even sinned, before you ever even born, before he ever spoke the stars, the moon, the sun, the planets into existence. In Revelation, we see Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He had this thing wrapped up before Adam ever even thought about sinning. His disposition towards you is that of forgiveness. So when we come into heaven, we think that we are coming in drenched in our sin. Not true. We come in clothed in the righteous blood of the Lamb. Though our sins were scarlet, he has, or he has bleached them whiter than wool. Unfortunately, we in the Western church, and this is the point, we act like the older brother. Prodigal son comes home, gets restored back, to, back into relationship, gets restored back as a son of the household. A robe around his shoulders, shoes on his feet, ring on his finger. Probably got the hog slop washed off of him. Killed the fatted calf. Celebrated. Meanwhile, verse 25, Luke 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back, he was told. Your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you. You never once refused, or I never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time, you never gave me not even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours came back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fatted calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything that I've ever had is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your son, your, or my son, your brother, was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. The greatest error is that my worth and my acceptance are attached to my works, what I do, what I produce for the kingdom. Father, I have slaved in your church for decades. Do you know how long I have served in children's church? Do you know how long I've been in the sound booth? Do you know how long I've been a deacon? Do you know how long I've been an usher? Do you know how long I've been attending this church? Why in the world should you get into heaven? I led worship forever. I was a pastor at a church. 
I helped my landlady take out her garbage. Helped an old lady across the street. I gave that poor stinky guy $5. The greatest error in our, and this is, I'm telling you, this is important that we grasp this. This is my only point today. It's important that we get it. The greatest error that we as believers engage in is attaching my worth and acceptance to my works. And it works on the flip side too, that somebody could be a wonderful, like, you know, have the life of God flowing out of them and all of a sudden, bam, they have an affair. And we think that that discredits them from heaven. Or you murder somebody. Or you, you know, like name how many pastors have been caught in garbage stuff in their lives. And we instantly think, oh, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing all along. You're not worthy of heaven. So at the end of the day, God's going to line up all of the nice people and all of the mean people, all the nice people he lets into heaven and all the mean people. So you better be careful that you don't lose your salvation. Well, how can you lose your salvation? You said a bad word when you hit your thumb. You watched a movie that you weren't supposed to. You hit your spouse. You kicked at a dog. We think that these things discredit us from receiving the grace and mercy and forgiveness of the Lord. Well, sure, you can get forgiveness, but what have you, do to, what have you done to earn it? What did you do to, for, to earn mercy? Nothing. If I didn't do anything to get it, I can't do anything to lose it. If my good deeds get me into heaven, then my bad deeds get me out of heaven. If my good deeds make, me, make God happy with me, then my bad deeds make God mad at me. If me fasting gets me more miracle-working power, then me not fasting makes me lose that miracle-working power. Well, how in the world can I live a godly lifestyle? Well, you have to work really hard at it. You have to read your Bible every day. Well, if I don't read my Bible every day, am I down to be condemned this lonely path as a sinner? Yes. That's the greatest error that we experience. So what is the greatest scandal of all time? Is that his grace, his mercy, his party is free and wide open. And we can't stand it. It twists our hearts. It's fine for somebody else to receive forgiveness when they've not done something to you. But when the person that stole my car, Jesus forgives them, Jesus, they stole my car. Right. My forgiveness is not based on what you do. Do you know what they did last week? Yep. And they are worthy of throwing a party. Not that person. You are forgiven. I don't care what you did. You are forgiven. He forgave you. Before you were ever even alive to cause a sin, he forgave you. Hitler is forgiven. Kim Jong-il is forgiven. Osama bin Laden is forgiven. Saddam Hussein is forgiven. Paul the Apostle is forgiven. You are forgiven. Because our state of forgiveness does not, is not attached to our works or our apologies, or our fasting, or our acts of repentance. And I'm not setting us up. 
There's no, ah. but how do people go to hell? We hold on to hell like it's an Olympic event. When we talk about the free grace and free mercy of God, we go, but I need people to burn. What you feel is the, is the need for justice. When a child gets kidnapped, there is a burning in our soul for justice. That is not right. If somebody kills one of my friends, me killing them back is not justice, it's revenge. My friend is still dead. If somebody murders my family, God sending them to hell for eternity is not justice, it's revenge. Me getting an eye if you poke out my eye, me breaking your tooth if you break out my tooth, that's not justice, that's revenge. God promises justice. He has a plan to make everything that has ever been done against you, every wrong that's ever committed, every tear that was ever shed by an abandoned child, every person that has ever gone through abuse or rape or mental torture, everything that has ever been done wrong to this world, he will make it right. He promises. I don't have the ability to do that. So I, everybody, when I say that God forgives everybody, that, that justice that's rising up in your heart of like, no, send them to hell. He'll take care of it, I promise. He will take care of every bit of it. Every wrong done against you will not be revenged. It will be justified. It will be redeemed. Anything that's ever been taken from you will be returned to you, he promises. It is not our job to be Pharisees pouting outside of the party. It's not our job to be this older brother. I refuse to go into the party. Because I refuse to believe that my worth is not defined by my actions. It is defined by your identity. You're a daughter. You're a son. Why in the world should you deserve the fatted calf? Because of who your father is. So what do I have to do to get it? You have to be born into the family. And lucky you, you were. What did the lost coin do to get found? Nothing. Simply received the finding. What did the lost sheep do to get found? Nothing. Received the finding. What did the lost son do? Nothing. He received the robe. He received the ring. He received his sandals. Now, can you sit outside the party all day, every day and pout? Yep. Remember that the father in his love let the younger brother leave and waste his inheritance on prostitutes. The son said, I'm out of here. And the father went, okay. I'll never stop looking for you. But he let him leave. Because remember the prophet Sting that we quoted last week? If you love somebody, set them free. Love doesn't manipulate. Love doesn't control. There's freedom in love. So if I want to act like a younger brother and leave my inheritance, God will let me. If I want to act like an older brother and sit outside of God's celebration, God's party and pout, well, they never did anything to deserve this. Well, honey, you can have hell on earth all day, every day. However, what if? This is scandalous, I get it. What if we learned about and experienced God's party? What happens if I limit my, my identity as a lost coin? What happens if I limit my identity as a lost sheep or a prodigal son or an older brother? How about I just say, hey, dad, thanks for the party. 
and walk into the party and receive the love and the acceptance and the celebration of our Father. That's what repentance is. Hey, there's salvation for you. And what do you do? Like if I, anybody in this room, if I gave you a $100 bill, we're in the South, so obviously most of us would go, no, I don't deserve that. But once we got over that, what do you say? When somebody gives you a gift, what do you say? Thank you. What do we tell your kids? What do you say? What do you say? Thank you. So what do we respond to God after giving, receiving this free gift of salvation? Thanks. <laughs> you mean I'm not going to go to hell? No. You mean I'm not going to have a lightning bolt strike me? No. You mean you're not mad at me? No. Who told you I was mad at you? I don't know. Felt right. You're not going to send me to hell? No. Who told you that? I, I don't know. You mean I get to come home? Yeah. You mean you didn't sell my room to some new person? No. You mean you're going to treat me like I'm a son? Yes. But dad, I messed it up. I'm not worthy to be called your son. If you could just, shh. The father wouldn't let his son debase himself to compare himself to a slave. It's like, get out of here with that mess. You're a son, you're a daughter. Repentance is going, huh. Well, that's good news. It's free. Not only for you, but your neighbor who doesn't take his garbage out on time. It's free, not only for you, but the person that walks two miles an hour in Walmart and won't get over. It's free, not only to you, not only to that person, not only to your neighbor, but to Joe Biden, but to President Trump, but to President Obama, but to Bush, but to Osama bin Laden, but to Hitler. It's free. It is a scandal of grace. What did you do to earn it? Nothing. What did they do to earn it? Nothing. Can you sit outside the party and pout all day? Yes. At the end of everything, when you read Revelation, last thing I'm going to say, we're going to stand up and go home. When you read the end state of being, it says, behold, the tabernacle of the Lord is now with man. The new Jerusalem, the new city comes from heaven, moves to earth. When we die, we don't go to heaven. When, when the end of the world happens, it's not us all going to heaven. Heaven's got an out of uh, order sign closed for business sign on it. God's relocated his headquarters to here. And this new Jerusalem, which I think is the church, it's all believers out of all, uh, all ages. It's this beautiful heavenly city. It's this wild party in the middle of the Middle East. And it says the gates are never shut. However, we have a story of people that sit outside those gates where there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why are you outside the party? God will never let me in. Where are the guards? Where are the bars? Where are the gates? Gates aren't shut. The door is wide open. We don't even lock the door. Well, God just, he's evil. He's hateful. He's vindictive. 
We hear it all the time. You don't know God. The prodigal son didn't know his father. If he knew how wild of a party he could throw inside the house, he never would have left the house. The older brother didn't know his father. Do you hear the jealousy? You never did that for me. Work my fingers to the bone for you and you never celebrated me. Son, I've celebrated you every day. The trick is there is a good, good father that lavishly, recklessly, sloppy wet kiss, whatever scandalous thing you want to say, lavishes love towards us. And if I don't want to receive it, that is my personal hell that I get to create for myself. Or I can just let my shield down and go, thanks. Let's stand up. If we don't understand how ludicrously God loves us, we will never be able to communicate the gospel to anybody else. I have got to know and I have got to experience the love of God imperatively. Not, hey, if you get around to it. Hey, you know, read your Bible, pray a little bit fast, and if you've got time, experience the love of God. It is imperative that you experience for yourself this love of God. Remember what we said the first Sunday in January? I can't teach this. I'll never be able to give a good enough metaphor. You'll never be able to watch enough movies. I don't care how many times you read the shack. No matter how many times you sing the chorus of a song, you won't get this unless you get this on your own. If you don't know how to start this relationship with God, come talk to me. If you don't know this lavishly loving father, come talk to me. It's a process. You're not going to walk outside like all of a sudden the sky is bluer and the birds are louder and the grass is greener. No, it's a process. It's the same like when you met your wife, when you met your husband. You didn't instantly fall in love on day one. It was a process. That relationship was a process. Christianity is a process. But understand you are loved. You are valued. You are searched after. You are celebrated. And you are forgiven. And there is a party going on with your name cut out in dumb little letters stretched across a banquet table.